Maybe it was a polite way to fire me. You never know in LA. <laughs> Secrets revealed. Hollywood sound of my childhood was recorded in London. Make it really hard for other people to replicate what I'm doing. A lot of people completely omit that. The only part of the industry I feel like where the music is first, that hits everything for me and I almost have tears. Hanging out with your competition sometimes is actually not the best thing to do. That never happens. Finally, and I can die in peace now. I'm like, I just feel like I passed the torch to something else. Hello and welcome to Terralon Talks, the podcast encouraging honest conversations with creative professionals. This show was created to demystify the creative process and give you a behind-the-scenes look at what it takes to succeed in the creative industry. We hope to help you open doors and provide insight into a career sector that has been notoriously challenging to navigate. Join us as we explore the world of creativity with some of the most talented and accomplished professionals in the industry. I'm your host, Perry Perkins, and today we're joined by an exceptional talent in the music industry, Karel Pesota. Karel is a French music producer based in LA, known for his incredible trailer music and sound design. You've probably heard his work in trailers for your favorite games like Call of Duty, Apex, and Valorant, as well as blockbuster movies like Shazam, She-Hulk, Wonder Woman, and Men in Black. His samples have been used in over 400 films, shows, and games. His influences include Daft Punk, Medan, Mick Gordon, 2WEI, and justice. Today, we'll be delving into his journey, his inspiration, and the parallels between sound and video. Let's get started. Hi, Crow. Um, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, joining us all the way from Los Angeles. I know we've got a eight-hour time difference, I think, but um, yeah, we're just going to go ahead and just dive into some of these questions I had for you today. And basically, we can just uh, get a bit of a start of, you know, who you are, where you come from, how uh, you got to where you're at today, and just a little bit of uh, the journey that you're on now. Yeah, so I essentially grew up in France from 0 to 18. I was playing guitar, had a fantastic teacher that was always, you know, very relaxed, no, like, really formal hardcore training, which is like, follow what you like. Oh, you like this song on the radio? Let's figure it out. So I always thank him, Editeo, for keeping like this uh, curiosity in me. And so that led me to playing in bands. I was in metal bands and whatnot. And then I got bit by the bug of, you know, audio engineering, technical stuff, production. So much that I figured I'd prob probably have more chances in the industry as an audio engineer than a musician. Because it was, you know, more technical, more scientific, more rational. Art is always a bit iffy and subjective. So, you know, the math brain in my head said, okay, go for audio engineering. So I applied for an internship, actually many internships, and I only got one in LA. So I flew there and I realized uh, this is great, but my boss made me understand that I was actually not really following my passion, which was more music. So, Maybe it was a polite way to fire me. You never know in LA. <laughs> but I ended up, um, yeah, in LA trying to figure out a way to make a living with music, which was very complicated because everyone in LA is super talented and they all come to LA for that reason. So it's just a small fish in a very big pond. And then I tried, I think, just, you know, looking at 
I was in community college studying accounting. That was like my backup plan. And I saw a billboard like, hey, small video game team looking for help. I was like, sure, I'll do this. Then I saw some student films that needed some music. Now, the great thing about student films is that in order to apply to festivals, they need original music or they need to clear it. So that was the first time in my life I had value for music. They really needed me to enter the festival. Like they required an original score too, not just library music. So that was like an amazing restriction that allowed me to put myself uh, with amazing filmmakers, students that later on became, you know, lasting relationships and pretty much pillars in the industry now. That was like 10 years ago. And so I did that and I also mixed pop records for friends of mine. So I was doing all these little gigs everywhere, still struggling. So a big uh, thanks to my family for supporting me during those uh, <laughs> chaotic times. And eventually ended up in the trailer industry, which is my favorite industry for maybe three reasons. Uh, the first one being it's very high production, very detail oriented. It's a very short format, so I don't get exhausted. You know, it's only three minutes of content and then you're out and you can take a breather as opposed to movie or TV shows, which are, you know, take years of your life. And um, so I focused on trailer music and then uh, I figured out that this was the only industry that would reward me for spending so much time on details like, um, let's say a drum loop or, or a certain moment. If I could spend four hours on this and get it right, I would be rewarded, whereas the other industries like film or TV would have me called a procrastinator and I would get fired. So that's why I love trailer music. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, lots to unpack there. I think, um, I mean, beginning with moving from France all the way to Los Angeles, um, it's a big step to take. It's the one that a lot of people try to take. So first of all, it's like, congratulations for making it all the way through that. Yeah, thank you. And honestly, credit to my family. I had always a backup plan. If I failed, I could come back to my family. So I always had that in mind. And I think a good rule of thumb, because I see a lot of people coming in this uh, city, I think like two years is probably a good amount of time to know if you're going to make it in LA or not. Um, because after two years, I wasn't like, successful anything but i knew that i had opened enough doors and my work was getting recognized to move on forward i could see a future but if you stay like two years in an expensive city maybe like london or la with a lot of industry you'll get a fast reality check so yeah take that in mind uh, when you're moving to another city yeah no definitely between la and london two of the biggest film industries in the world right but also two of the most saturatedly talented cities in the world. So you definitely know if uh, you've got the talent or not quite quickly <laughs> to make it. Um, but yeah, so I guess, can you tell us a little bit more about like why you chose music? I guess, is it always been something you've really been interested in? You know, it's kind of messed up, but I, Many times in my life, I wanted to give up music because, you know, you overdo it and like food, right? If you eat too much, you just have enough of that food. But it always came back. It's like an appetite 
that's always there. So I don't know what it is about it. So anytime I gave up, I took like a month break. Someone else would come in and say, hey, I need help on this. Can you help out with music? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. And then it's fun again. And the whole thing starts again. No, it's really cool. That's uh, I feel like it's rare these days to find like someone who's had a passion for that long and is still following it all the way through um, and has made like a sort of successful career out of it. So, um, yeah, I think that's quite interesting to see. And I was, you know, obviously looking for a stable income when I was in L.A. And I was planning to be an accountant. I was studying for that in community college. But yeah, the music was like, I should always do that on the side. I was like, you know, watching YouTube videos of people, you know, behind the scenes, even uh, video production stuff. I love how filmmakers talk about how they shoot stuff. And a lot of the people I met, most of my clients and friends are filmmakers. So I think that's also a great thing to just have a curiosity and just chat about random gear stuff and movies we like and whatnot. Really cool. Um, so have you ever, you haven't ever worked in the UK? I've worked for a few people in the UK, composers. Okay. And I think a few of the stuff like distantly worked on were recorded in your main studios, which is Air and Abbey Road, which are legendary studios. For those who yeah. don't know, Harry Potter, Star Wars was recorded over there. Basically the Hollywood sound of my childhood was recorded in London. Interesting. That's really interesting to hear. Um, so I guess, do you have any like comparisons or like differences, I guess, between um, the, the industry as a whole in London in the UK versus like Hollywood, Los Angeles? So I know from a film industry standpoint, like films are made differently. There's a different look and feel to them. Is it the same? Music? I think it's funny between the people, the films and the relationship in the industry and possibly the budget. So the more you go west, the more you have superficiality and budget and entertainment. And the more you go east, you tend to have the opposite. And um, so what I find is that LA is very, um, you know, blockbusters are superficial, right? You only have flashy colors, a story that we've heard a thousand times and then but, you know, high production, a lot of effort going into these details. And like European films have maybe like a slightly smaller budget, but are slightly more real. And even the people you work with will, let's say, be more open to like uh, be sincere, not pretend. L.A. is kind of a city of pretend, which is good or not, depending how you see it. I like it. Everyone's like, hey, how are you? How's your day going? But they don't know you. So you can apply that to basically this multi-scale thing from the movies to the people to the relationships. And what I found is that, yeah, you need to do a bit of both to understand. And I think a lot of actually film directors do the same. I was looking at Taika Waititi. He was saying he does one movie for Hollywood and one movie for his country, which is New Zealand. And they're always like completely different in his mind. So I think it's good to have both. Oh, that's cool. I think that's quite a good comparison. They say people are in, you know, I'm from, I'm from America. So I'm from, uh, I grew up in Iowa. Um, I've lived in Colorado for a while, lived out in California for a year. Um, but yeah, the, uh, it's not that people like mean to be superficial out there. I think, I think what you said hit it right on the head. They got people will ask you how you feel 
but they don't actually care to hear the answer. Whereas like over here, it's almost the opposite. Like people would care to hear the answer, but they're just not going to ask you. Yeah. And I would say even <laughs> people tend to avoid conflict in LA and you just go to New York, which is a bit more driven. And like French people are known to be arrogant and too direct in a certain way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a cool story is John Williams. I want to make sure I get this story right. But on a recording session, John Williams is the guy who did Star Wars, Harry Potter. Fantastic guy, very nice person. And if you, however, fuck up a recording during the break, they'll just remove your chair. So when you come back, yeah, you got the message. <laughs> Nothing else is said. I was like, that is the most LA thing ever. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Oh, that's great. Um, so yeah, so I guess if we tie it back a bit more to how we can relate, um, the music industry to the to the film industry um there's a lot that goes hand in hand you know there's so many different forms of like composing music and sound design all these things uh, but on that note can you explain the difference to um can you explain the difference to i guess our audience of like what for people who aren't in the music world and people who just like watch a movie or see a trailer what is the difference between composing music and then also by like creating sound design I think the best and funniest analogy is probably cooking. So sound design okay. is probably the art of like creating and shaping your ingredients and music composition is arranging these ingredients together, mixing them up. So you get something hopefully tasteful. Now, the funny thing is that what I like in music and what I like in food share similar techniques. So one thing you'll see is, um, Reactive mixing, I don't know if it's an official term, but it's when one ingredient is used to react with the other. So to get like super <laughs> technical, if you take pasta and you keep the pasta water for your sauce, right? Using bits of pasta to thicken the sauce and it just ties the whole meal together, something cohesive. And you kind of do the same thing with music too. Like a lot of um, dance music, the kick drum will make react the bass. So every time the kick hits, the bass is going to duck down. That's the sound of like Daft Punk and, you know, French compression, Justice. You can even hear it. Uh, people try to emulate that technique then with, you know, automation and all, and all that. But the most tasteful things are when, yeah, elements react together. Even when you listen to a band, the drummer and the guitarist, if they grew up together playing, they'll have this almost uh, shared um, experience that we like to hear. So I think about that a lot. And one funniest example too is if you look at um, cuisine like um, Gordon Ramsay, who talks about eggs and butter being infused at a molecular level together while you cook them instead of adding butter at the end. There's a famous sound designer called Mick Gordon and composer who did the Doom soundtrack, some of the best uh, music ever heard, very aggressive metal. And he would take, let's say two sounds like a sine wave and like, uh, I'll record that again. <laughs> Sorry, you <laughs> scrap that out. You can take a sine wave like, and then add noise on top. So you mix them together and then you cook them together through distortion. I guess the video equivalent would be uh, some sort of um, multi multiplicative processing on top. And that will create uh, a new texture. And these are some of the 
most amazing sounding textures I've ever seen. You can kind of feel the electricity moving into the sound. Uh, something fascinating. Really cool. Um, yeah, I guess with that, what's your, uh, what would you describe as like your style? Like how do you approach um, your process? So I would try to, like I said, make things really react together. So in music, one way to do it is to have a very complex uh, pipeline that you put at the very end. So if you're going to guess in video, you could put like a ton of effects on your whole output, right? And then whatever you feed into it is going to react through this output. So I'm using, using a lot of techniques that not only allow for unique sounds, but make it really hard for other people to replicate what I'm doing because I actually don't really know what I'm doing. Secrets revealed. <laughs> um, no, that's great. Um, so yeah, so I had a question here, um, again, related, related back to um, watching film. Again, I'll probably relate more of this stuff back to film rather than gaming, only because that's what I know more about. But um, film and TV, people, as a general audience member, you listen to a film, you watch a film, um, and I guess some of like the best films, you kind of just hear the audio track. Like you don't, like you know it's there, but you also aren't like consciously being like, oh, what a great sound, what a great like um, audio track and stuff. And I guess like how they don't think about it beyond that as part of their film watching experience. So how important is it for the music to be like, in that sense, a part of the film and, and subtle at the right times? Like how important is that to the storytelling process? Um, I actually am the same way. You would think maybe I care more about the music, but if the movie's good, I usually really don't pay attention to the music. It operates, like you say, on a more like subconscious level. However, I think directors do maybe three deliberate moments for music. Usually the opening has great music and not a lot of story going on. It's just like setting a mood, probably a climax. You think about E.T., you know, on the bicycle, like the music is really taking a lot of space. And then the credit song and everything in between usually operates on a subconscious level. And I think that's deliberate from the director trying to, you know, shift the focus in and out between either characters, action, music. Um, I think Arcane, the TV show, understood that really well. Like they wanted every episode to have one strong musical moment so they would hire artists for like a little three minute segment and have a great opening and ending. And of course there's exceptions to the rule, which are for instance, one of your British composers, Daniel Pemberton, who did Into the Spider-Verse. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, I love that movie. Oh, it's so good. It's such a good movie. Every department went out of their way to create unique visuals, unique sounds. Everything was so um, inspired that my attention was everywhere. And yet the story still maintained a thread that my brain was focused on. But I remember thinking the music is also amazing the whole time. So I think story shouldn't be an excuse to write music on a subconscious level. Just write great music that fits the picture and don't think much about it. Yeah, no, well said. I think that's probably one of the best examples I think you could possibly give for like a fully immersive movie. Like it just from beginning to end was so good visually and like all of your senses, I swear, were just like tingled the whole time. It's masterful. 
I don't know how anyone can top that really inspired. <laughs> like I, sometimes to be honest, I go online and I watch the clip where Miles jumps from the tower. Yeah. That hits everything for me and I almost have tears. Tears of <laughs> respect because I can see all the departments trying their best and having a director and producers able to just tie all the departments together to create a perfect moment. It's like stars aligning. It's so rare to see. You see movies with great visuals, but terrible music or terrible story. Like you never see the jackpot. It's always one department doing great and another failing. And once yeah. every, I don't know, honestly, every century, it feels like something aligns and Spider-Verse is one of them. Yeah. yeah it's a rare, it's a rare gem. I agree. Um, yeah. So let's, uh, you're more into, well, I mean, your career now is in, uh, your favorite stuff's trailer work, correct? Um, I guess you call that a sync track, am I correct? Um, so yeah, I guess what's your process in making it? How's that? I mean, obviously from a visual standpoint, we know that like trailers are very engaging, um, but from like producing audio and creating a track for that, how how is that process different than other work? And uh, I guess what would make a successful trailer? So I think a good way to look at it is as if you're writing an essay or a story, you need a very strong thread that you can maintain the whole time and not really deviate from it. So one confident direction and sticking to that direction already is a lot. I see a lot of beginners send me sending me tracks with flashy things everywhere, but there's no thread. There's no point that they're trying to make. And then like any good essay, you need word choice, which is the sounds you use, sentences, melodic phrases or just sound design sequence that are satisfying to listen to. And every paragraph would be like um, a new idea that is still on the same thread. So you introduce a new idea, show it from different angles and then go on to another idea. And in order to keep that interesting, which is what we're all about, audience retention, you need to have tension in release. So what I like to think, I think a lot about story. I was watching this South Park uh, behind the scenes where the creators were saying, when we write an episode, we have this board and we have um, if, however, therefore. So a situation comes in, however, Cartman messes it up. Therefore, all his friends are trying to kill him. And then you start that again and again. So we're addicted to this, you know, tension release. So you do that through words, but you also do that through music with the uh, chords or sounds. Some chords are very like stable, uh, very harmonious, and you can like listen to that forever. And then tension will kind of create a visceral reaction. And then that resolves into something harmonious again. So you have these highs and lows. Now this thing that sets apart trailer music from other music is that we don't resolve the tension. So we're always building tension. And then when we reach the peak of tension, we stop and we let a pause. That's why you always see a trailer with a lot of pauses and they insert a joke or like, hey, John, this is the end of the world. What's next? You know, and then you go back into another uh, section. So if you want to create a successful think, uh, sync track, I would say, or at least for trailer music, really focus on building tension. Don't resolve it immediately and wait for uh, the appropriate moment to then resolve it. 
And the irony of it all is if you look at trailers, at least the trailers I like, they resolve the tension on the title of the movie. So it's subconsciously saying to resolve the tension that you're seeing on screen, you need to go see the movie. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, how does how does it work for you specifically? Do you, I guess, in the trailer, you have the visuals and the audio. I'm assuming you're not like cutting up visuals and stuff as well. Do you get like a visual track first and then it's up to you to compose a track to it? Or is it more of like a simultaneous collaborative effort? Uh, that's actually a very good question. And it's the only part of the industry, I feel like, where the music is first. So they usually pick music and they edit on top. So music is the backbone of the trailer. And you can think about it like a music video. They cut to the beat. They will kind of... They'll also actually editors are music wizards too. They'll move the songs around to create moments when they need to it, when they need to do it. They also do a lot of, um, they take different songs from everywhere, blend them together. So the audio level is actually insane for editors. Like they're really, we think about visuals, but they're very much underrated when it comes to music and audio. No, that's, that's cool too. I honestly, I wouldn't have guessed that an audio track would have been edited first uh, for a trailer. Um, so I guess I assume you get like a, a time slot, like a 30 second, 60 second, like you have to fit it within that and they give you some parameters and you just go from there. And I think um, back to the successful trailer music thing, if you make a piece that's easily editable to smaller chunks, then that makes the editor's life easy. So one way to do that is to avoid chord progressions. <laughs> Sounds anti-musical, but if you stay on one note, then they can move stuff around super easily like Lego blocks. So that allows more maneuver for them, which then allows a better edit. And then that allows possible success. Huh. So I think we've addressed like a couple, but what are uh, some parallels that you see between sound and video? Well, I love all the stuff I like is highly stylized. And one thing that I love is maybe limited color palette. So I'm guessing you guys use LUTs or color grade your own stuff. Correct. Yeah. Uh, so when you choose to remove a color, I love the importance of that. So a lot of the times when you approach a big project, They'll say exactly what they don't want. It's like, we don't want guitars. We don't want to be rock. Uh, so I, I think about that a lot. And even in music, some of the best moods are usually stuff where they emit a certain note. So Thomas Newman, who did American Beauty, has this uh, beautiful harmony, which should have very obvious notes, but he decides to remove them. So it has this very suspended sound and creates a very cool mood. Uh, so I always think about that between visuals and sound. If you can remove a certain color, remove a certain note or sound, you get really bold and confident decisions. The other thing, the other thing I think about is um, editing, like continuous motion. Let's say you have two scenes, um, you know, people fighting in airplanes and then someone throwing a ball on a basketball. If you can do a smooth transition, it would be, for instance, taking an airplane going from left to right, and then the next shot, the ball going from left to right. The eye sees this continuous motion with two sections that have nothing to do with each other, and yet it's so smooth. 
So you do that a lot with music too. If you have a new section, let's say a verse and then a chorus, and it doesn't feel right, a good way to transition into that would be to create a continuous motion between the two. So you can take a sound ringing out like and then introduce the new section. Or you could do a melody that goes into the next section, like a leading in. One of my favorite examples is the Man of Steel trailer. I think it's the track Ideal of Hope. There's this sliding guitar goes so that little leads into the next section. So it has this very uh, beautiful sense of flow. No, oh, that's cool. I feel like I'm learning way more than I thought I would on this. Um, it's really interesting because sound designs and music, all that stuff is such an important part of our industry. Um, but until you get to like a higher level of production, you kind of take it for granted or just assume you can slap on some sound effects and do this and that. But when you really like take it seriously and invest the time into it, like there's so much to it. Um, so it's really it's really cool to hear it from your perspective. And I found that whether it's film or audio, when I start noticing something, it's usually because the person has put like three times the care around it. So if you see like color grading, you say, oh, this movie's a little bit green. That's kind of cool. That's probably comes from someone that studied color grading way more than what you even understand. But you start to notice like a new world opening. So being sensible to new um, artistic moves in a way opens a lot of doors. And then the more you learn about it, the more you see how. Actually, all these big movies are really, really masterful. Um, how, <laughs> this is quite a random question, only because I keep staring at the two guitars behind you. Um, how many different instruments do you know how to play? Uh, it's like party question. Honestly, I always answer, I play my computer really well, and that's about it. <laughs> I know I know how every instrument works, and I understand where they should be used, but I, I don't... I play a little bit of guitar, but honestly, it's... It's more of the, like, music theory and stuff that you have to know. Yeah, I'd say music theory is pretty important. Yet, if you have a good intuition and a good ear, you don't really need mu that much music theory. Uh, especially if you work by yourself. If you're in a band or an orchestra, it obviously helps. But you can definitely make it to where I am today, knowing nothing about theory, but having really good taste and, you know, a sense of, you know, quality standard. Um, and also, I would say I use guitars a lot because they... Everything is a bit um, sterile with computers, uh, even even piano. Um, okay, to make this simple, emotion I think comes from uh, pitch movement. So we recognize a human's emotion based in the voice and how they you know inflect stuff up and down. Are they confident? Are they asking a question? All that is based on pitch. So the more you can use instruments that have a lot of uh, pitch capabilities like cello, voice, uh, guitar has, you can do guitar bends. That will lead to, I think, more expressive music, more use of tension and release. So I basically just use guitars as a tool to add a bit more organic uh, feel to my music. Okay. I only ask because I, I think people on our end would only, would kind of assume that to be a music composer, like you'd need to know... <laughs> how every instrument works and like how to play all these instruments. Um, 
but I guess the reality is that's not, not true. No, I think always think about listen to the music you like that provokes a strong emotion and uh, or not. I don't know, you like lo-fi beats and that's fine with you, but I'm like always looking for what what is a strong piece of music? What did they do to get there? Can I do that myself using whatever tools at my disposal? And if you train that muscle, then you have products, products, <laughs> music pieces that you can use for other things that will elicit that same response. And that has value. So twofold, I guess one, I know how big networking is for an industry like yours, especially being in LA. Um, but the other is, I guess, what kind of, what was, I mean, you've explained a bit of what your journey is like, but what is the typical journey like, or what is a good way to go about getting into your industry, making a career of it? Um, do you go to school for it? Do you try and just network and get mentors, etc.? Um, I guess from your opinion, uh, what have you got there? Um, I usually think about this thought exercise. Let's say you're competing on your dream job. And there's other candidates. Which candidate do you fear the most? Is that the one that went to a prestigious school? Probably not. They can still suck and go to a big school. The one with a lot of gear, it's like, eh. For, for video, I feel like it matters a bit. But uh, for sound, not really. And then there's always the third candidate, which is a nobody, but that's really passionate, that will do whatever it takes to accomplish their vision with strong taste discipline. That is like what I fear. Like I know this person, no matter what they're going to do, they're going to be successful. So I just try to be that. And everything else kind of follows uh, once you have that mentality. Um, but for a more like practical piece of advice, I'd say obviously online presence is very important. It feels like you don't really exist if you're not online, I think. So at the start, probably take references from pop culture, put your twist on it with something you're really good at, do it in a video format. That seems to be the what I'm observing working right now for a lot of people. Uh, then you have the more discreet route, which is just partying with people, making friends, and when they need help, you're here to help them. And that builds like trust and relationships that last forever and potential work. So I'd say these are the two angles. And the other one is be sensitive to what works on you. So when was the last time you saw an ad that had something that made you go, oh, I need to buy this. And then you went on and bought it. That's actually kind of crazy. Someone persuaded you to buy something so study why that worked on you and uh, try to reverse engineer it. So that's what I did at the very beginning of my career. This uh, composer called Joshua Crispin, he was a um, fantastic composer and sound designer. And he would post uh, free packs, three free toolkits on Reddit or stuff like that. And I would download them, use them in my work. And I was like, damn, he's like everywhere. Like now he's in my work. I see him online. His music is like insane and that really like puts me like in great admiration and inspired me to kind of do the same uh, so i think just be sensitive to what works to you okay and on that note um kind of just a combined question here um 
how I guess how do you go about the networking within your industry specifically and then I guess what what different avenues are there to making money as a musician um not necessarily you know not everyone's just busking songs on the street or like recording record albums there's loads of different different ways to do that I think the first thing I did is I did tutorials on YouTube and posted them on Facebook groups that had you know maybe a hundred views but it was people in the industry and they then contacted me and that led me to higher places so that's a great thing to do just helpful useful tutorials um and what was the next part of the question sorry um just different ways that you can uh make money like make a living i guess as a musician definitely don't put all the eggs in the same basket uh so trailer music is half of my income the other half is sound design so i do sample libraries and that's divided between uh, b2c and b2b uh so AVA Music Group is to the public, so I do maybe a hundred sound effects and people can buy them for like a hundred dollars or something, the full pack. And I have business to business, which is less frequent, but that has uh, more income, but yeah, less frequent. So that would be the big studios like Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, Paramount requesting individual sounds. And then I would say also giving lessons was another way to make money early on. You can also do online courses, which I've done. Uh, that's a great way to actually master your own craft. If you start teaching something, you'll realize how little you know about it and how you have to study much deeper before you can even start talking about a topic. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it tells you where uh, your weaknesses are for sure quite quickly. Um, what would you tell a kid who's uh, got the same motivation and drive as you and just packs up and moves to Los Angeles, decides they want to make a career in it, uh, what advice could you give to them? Um, okay, maybe I'm not worried about the music side. They will always get the music correctly. I would say try to get a good sense of business and law, which is very boring. But uh, that's the probably the thing you're going to skip and that's going to mess you up later. Uh, so many horror stories I can see in Hollywood. Um, so maybe focus on some of the most boring things that will have value to you later. Um, and the other thing would be, do not let, uh, if you're jealous about something, f understand like why you're jealous about it. If it's money or fame, that is complete crap. So get rid of it. If it's because they have superior like, uh, taste and production ability. That's actually a really good indicator of the direction you should go to. So when I hear like music, uh, so I mentioned Mick Gordon, I'm always like, holy shit, I wish I had done this. How did he do that? That's the biggest indicator. So always follow that and try to reverse engineer what they've done. And if you keep doing that, you basically follow a natural path that leads you to a pretty strong, <clears throat> pretty strong individual. A person with high ability, strong taste, and discipline. So, really interesting. Um, so, the last couple of questions I want to ask you as we come towards the end of this. Um, on a personal note, what 
if if I ask you about your like favorite projects you ever worked on, um, maybe just share maybe your favorite project, also maybe your most challenging project and why that was challenging, um, and then I don't know maybe some if you want to name drop maybe your highest profile biggest project to date. Yeah, I think uh, Valorant Engine Chamber reveal trailer is uh, one of my favorite trailers I've worked on. Because I did this song with my friend Simon Pucher. We spent a year and a half on one song. And it uses all the production tricks, all my influences. Uh, it's a lot of justice, a lot of Daft Punk. And I spent, I almost, it was so much work. And I was like, this piece of music must be cursed. It's probably going to go nowhere. People are going to forget about it. And out of the blue, the Riot Games, who does League of Legends Valorant, found the music while I was working on it and used it in this trailer for non-ironically a French agent, which is so funny. And I find it so cool because it represents French culture in a very modern way. I think people think about, um, you know, accordion, croissant, baguette, you know, as French music, Amélie. And it's like, wow, actually, you know, Justice and Daft Punk is the sound of France. And they acknowledged that, used my music, and it's, I think, some of my best music. And people in the comments also like it. So again, jackpot. It's like, music I like, music that got approved in a trailer, an audience likes it. That never happens. It's usually one, two, or zero. But I was like, yes, finally. And I can die in peace now. I'm like, I just did what I wanted to do. And you can even see now people trying to recreate the song, people using it for their own projects, shooting films around it. So it's like, I feel like I passed the torch to something else. That's really cool to have a piece like out in the world that other people are that influenced by. And I would say I listened to Justice when I was, let me, 15 years ago. And for 15 years, I tried to like get close or understand what they were doing. And I feel like just an homage to justice after like 15 years of figuring out their work. No, really cool. Um, That's about all I've got for you today. The last thing I'm going to ask you is if you've got any recommendations for people who are looking uh, to, I guess, learn to do what you do, um, anything like that. So that, you know, uh, reading recommendations, tutorials, whatever that may be. To understand your brain, I like the book Deep Work by Carl Newport. To understand business, which helped me a lot, I liked uh, The Almanac of Naval Ravikant. And then for music in general, again, I, I would say maybe listen to the... So the music you like, get curious about the artists behind it, watch behind the scenes. And they're usually going to name drop a few artists that influence them and then study that. So you kind of have a tree. I don't know if you like, I don't know, a Drake and you see like Noah Shabib did some production. You go on him and see what he has done and then kind of figure out what your taste exactly means, <clears throat> exactly means and what it's built on. One last tip about uh, musicians. I would say don't hang out with other musicians, hang out with filmmakers. There's way more to learn about story and also about business and bigger projects. Hanging out with your competition sometimes is actually not the best thing to do. So a lot of people completely omit that, but it's, yeah, go on film forums and whatnot. 
Awesome. Well, honestly, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join us for an episode. If you want to go ahead and uh, link or shout out any of your stuff, where can people find you? Uh, where can they listen to your stuff? Where can they see it? Um, I'm sure people would love to uh, get their hands on that. Yeah, honestly, uh, well, thank you for having me. I think the best way is probably yeah, Instagram at Corel Pesota, all attached. If not, my website has all the music stuff. And um, yeah. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Tarlon Talks. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with our guests today. As always, we want to thank you for tuning in and being a part of our community as we continue to grow our audience and bring you more exciting guests from the creative industry. If you have any topics or guests you would like us to cover or would have any interest in being a guest yourself, please reach out to us via Instagram at Terralon Media or visit our website at terralon.co.uk. And of course, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your support helps us reach more listeners and bring even more valuable content to our audience. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode.